This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. In this episode, we're going to talk about the final game in the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, Mass Effect 3. But before that, here's a look back at some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and Ofnil Ting. Thank you, Anif. Okay, let's start today's show by looking at one of the most anticipated games from Sony, the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West. Last week at Gamescom's opening night live, Sony finally announced the release date for Horizon Forbidden West after announcing earlier that the game will be delayed and released early next year. They have set the release date on the 18th of February 2022, and on top of announcing the release date, they also announced that the game is now available for pre-orders. Of course, as with most of the blockbuster AAA games out there, there will be multiple versions of the game that will be made available, including versions for the previous gen and current gen. Uh, there are multiple versions of the game available for pre-order as well. They include the Standard Edition, the Digital Deluxe Edition, the Special Edition, the Collector's Edition and the Regala Edition. The last three editions include various physical items as well uh, and will be available in limited quantities. Um, and interestingly, because this game is a cross-generation game, Sony also announced that in order for you to have the option for a free upgrade from PS4 to PS5, you have to purchase the Digital Deluxe, Collectors or Regala editions of this game. Yeah, this of course upsets fans who expect the non special edition version of the game that they buy on PS4 to have the free upgrade option to PS5 as well. Uh, no one wants to double dip, not especially when uh, Sony have previously offered previous exclusives like Spider-Man, Miles Morales, the option of a free upgrade to PS5. And Sony's competition, Microsoft offers the smart delivery option where games that you buy will simply adapt to the version of the consoles that you're currently playing on, whether it's Xbox One X or Xbox Series X without any extra charge. So I'm not surprised that fans were outraged and after a couple of days of backlash from the community, Sony finally relented and via a PlayStation blog post, President and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment, Jim Ryan, said that the free upgrade option will now be made available across all versions of the game and not just limited to the special editions. Wow, power to the people. But yeah. <laughs> uh, however, they also said that moving forward, they will be charging an extra 10 US dollars for the PS4 to PS5 upgrade. And this will apply to future games such as the upcoming God of War Ragnarok as well as Gran Turismo 7 among many others. So while this might calm the current outrage the fans uh, are having out there, I don't think this will still be good news for many fans, especially if you take into account how Sony's competition is dealing with this whole cross-gen conundrum. Um, Microsoft's way of doing things is pretty clear from the get-go, for example, while Sony has been caught in this very weird and fickle situation regarding their stance on this particular topic. Uh, the decision to get players to double dip is also not fair, considering that a lot of gamers out there can't get the PS5, and not because they refuse to, right? So Sony should also perhaps look at the situation from that perspective. Instead of forcing gamers to buy twice, especially when they want to play these games as soon as they're released and not when these consoles are finally available in the market. 
We are sure this conversation will continue moving forward and Sony will continue to face more in the future. But they've also announced that they are having a PlayStation Showcase 2021 scheduled to happen on the 9th of September. We have no idea what will be announced or showcased in the event, with a lot of people speculating that we'll probably see more of Horizon Forbidden West and maybe the next God of War 2. But of course, we'll bring you updates from the showcase in the upcoming episode. So stay tuned. Okay, up next, uh, the football season has just started. And with that, of course, that builds up the excitement for new football games that are coming out. And Konami, makers of the hugely popular Pro Evolution Soccer, which is Hanif's preferred choice when it comes to football games, uh, they've been rebranded. And uh, they will now be called eFootball. And this updated and rebranded iteration will be made available as a free-to-play at the end of this month on the 30th of September. Mm. For those of you who uh, missed out on the bigger news, Konami has earlier said that they are embarking on a different trajectory for their flagship football game. Together with the rebranding comes a new engine and a totally new approach to releasing the game, including making it free-to-play with obvious monetization aspects post-launch, as well as cross-play for people across multiple platforms, including the possibility of console and PC players playing with mobile players. Wow. Wow. Um, but at this moment, there's still a lot of things that we're not clear about, and suffice to say, the reception about this new rebrand has been mixed, especially for the more hardcore fans who play the offline modes of the game, including Master League and, you know, not just the online modes, right? Um, that's a story for another day, of course. But going back to the announced release date, 30th September, uh, the release of the game will be pretty limited as there are only a handful of teams available with limited game modes. Konami will uh, take their time in releasing incremental updates to the game, including various other modes later on. So for fans of PES... It's a brave new world out there. We're not totally sure how to feel, but be sure that we're going to give this new eFootball game a chance just to see how different it is to uh, the original one and whether we like it or not. Okay, from that to a rumour of a retro game appearing on current consoles, reports have emerged claiming that Game Boy and Game Boy Color titles might be added to the Nintendo Switch Online library very soon. If this is true, this will be the very first time that Game Boy games will be made available on other Nintendo consoles again since the 3DS via Virtual Console. According to reports, these games will be released on Switch as part of its online subscription offerings. Currently, the Switch Online store has a library of uh, over 80 NES games and over 50 SNES games depending on the region you're in. And potentially exciting news for owners of the Switch and retro games fans who are looking to replay all the classic games from these two platforms. Various media outlets have reached out to Nintendo to comment on this rumour but no immediate response yet at the time of recording. Last but not least, just to wrap up our coverage and bring everything back to full circle, a news report on Bloomberg has said that the chip shortage will continue to go on until September 2022 at least. Hmm, this comes after Toshiba Corp one of the world's biggest chip players in the industry, said that the company won't be able to meet demand for another year and in certain cases till the end of 2022. Material shortages and demand overtaking production capacity are the biggest reasons for Toshiba's inability to fulfill orders and the effect can be seen across various industries including gaming. Uh, Sony has said that they are confident that they are able to sell more than 14.8 million units of the PlayStation 5 this fiscal year to match the pace of its predecessor console, the PS4, but the production of the PS5 last quarter lagged behind the PS4 for the same period. So, what does this mean for gamers? Uh, I guess we have to be prepared to wait much much longer before you're able to purchase 
these next gen consoles comfortably a delay should be expected at this point and uh, I think that's all we have for this week's recap back to you Hanif After more than 100 hours, we have finally reached the ending of Mass Effect 3, the final game in the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It's been quite a journey that started all the way back in the first game, and joining me to help unpack Shepard's final assault against the Reapers are my squad mates, Sabrina Yusuf and Kelvin Yee. Okay, Mass Effect 3 is my first um, introduction to the trilogy when it first came out when I played it on the PS3 the last time. So now getting back to it again there's definitely like a really nice feeling of nostalgia especially you know it was simpler times back then but it's also like having to see this game that I really like in fresh eyes and also being you know maybe having different opinions about it is a nice thing generally. That's like my general experience with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think for me the immediate thing that I notice is of course the combat how different it is compared to the first two games. Well, you can tell that the second game has a much better gameplay compared to the first. Uh it is it, it still follows through the same template I suppose to a certain extent. It's just that it's a bit tighter and what not. Whereas with the three it felt like at least for me lah that they've sort of like revamped it a bit uh making it like a bit more different that, that that's my immediate thought lah but otherwise i think mass effect 3 started off like uh, with a bang right and the tone is also very dark compared to i guess you know the first two games like even in second mass effect when you're uh siding with um cerberus it still feels a bit more chill i suppose because you're in a different camp right and you know other people have like a different i guess perceptions towards you and what not but with the third game it like much much darker compared to the first two games yeah yeah i would say so the tone dramatically shifted and i think for good reason why also because the threat of the reapers has become a lot more imminent uh, you start off the game by basically getting attacked on your planet right like shepherds warned everyone for like the past two games and then, oh well lo and behold they're actually real they're actually here <laughs> so yeah I, i think the overall shift In, in terms of tone is understandable um so i would say that it's it's lacking something that i felt was consistently present in the past two games in terms of uh, themes right which is the optimism that shepherd will make it through and that that was just dimming throughout this series i think while the the sadness the grief and the trauma that comes from the past two games is you know completely understandable it's just that the lack of the positive emotions that came from the first two games and because it's it's like a template that works for the game right i kind of expected it to be three but sadly it wasn't yeah i definitely feel like the scale that they took the story in the third game felt natural to me because uh the reapers were kind of like sort of in and out a little bit in the background but they are this kind of impending doom that they've been building up in the past games as well so Everything in the third in the third game had to do with that. Everything had had to do with this big war that we're fighting, um, and it really didn't feel. It, it felt like the choices we made had much more impact than it did before. Even after all the other things that um, you kind of had to go through, even having having to live with those consequences in the in the second game in the third game as well, still felt a lot more impactful because of the fact that this is such a the story just took it to a, to a bigger. Level with the Reapers is no longer just about um, Shepard and his 
team of people trying to defeat this singular enemy, but it's also about all of these other races, these other worlds that had their own histories and their own battles to win as well. So I think that definitely it made sense to me, the scale of it. Uh, it really made the game a lot more urgent in that sense. It does feel like they used the third game to close off a lot of the main plot points, right? And, and to good success, right? So we think about places like the Korean and Geth War. That was closed off really nicely, um, depending on your actions from the past two games, really. If you miss some of the major points that matter, um, by the third game, you find yourself maybe not possibly achieving peace between the two races, right? Or the two species. And you also have places like Tuchanka where, again, your plot points from the first game come into consideration. You have the possibility of not having Rex uh, as a character by the third game because you possibly killed him off in the first one. Or it, it becomes like a different configuration all, all, all over, right? Like if you didn't save Morden in the second game, some some crucial characters in the third game related to Tuchanka, characters like Eve, for example, would die, right? The female Krogan. She, there is a possibility of her passing away because you just don't have the right formula of medicine to to save her. So you're right. It, it does take it to that bigger skill. Uh, Shepard is essentially becoming a one unit, a United Nations, United Planets, or whatever you want to call it. He's trying to fix all these things all at once and it does pay off well. And then you also see things like uh, Thessia, where it's also a great emotional point. Uh, not so much the focus on Kailang, but like the way Thessia fell. Um, that was so good to me, right? You always have this image as you're playing the, the game as Thessia and the, the Asari as the beacons of civilization and advancement. And then you're wondering, you know, how are they getting so far ahead? And then you realize that, oh, they've been hiding all this protein technology and advancements from everyone for so long. That's why they're so advanced. And at the same time, to see like one of the most advanced and longest uh, running civilizations just fall on its face was like, oh, goodness, well, if that could happen to, to them, what does that mean for the rest of the, uh, the, the Milky Way? And that's the, I guess, the interesting aspect about the trilogy as a whole, right? I think uh, the payoffs and how uh, the things that you did in the first game uh, suddenly come back uh, in the third game, uh, you know, the Ragnar Queen. These are little little things, the payoff that you, I guess, um, get after spending so much time in not only the third game, but like the whole trilogy, right? So it makes me think about how well they've planned everything, considering that, like you said, uh, Kelvin, um, by the third game, we have not yet seen at that time, you know, uh, planets like Tessia and then to a certain extent the Salarian planet as well. And, you know, they, they take their time in, in world building uh, all this, uh, the, the available universe and uh, galaxies and planets and whatnot, you know, from the first game till the third game. And, and it like, you know, if you think about it, it, it makes for like watching uh, three different movies, right? But at the same time, learning about all these species and all, uh, and their relationships with other, uh, other species, uh, from from the first game to the third game, and everyone given that that fair screen time, I suppose to a certain extent, <laughs> right, right, right. So it it is definitely a very ambitious project. That by the third game, you feel like okay, this is you know at least they're they're heading somewhere and they're trying to conclude it. You know whether they conclude it well. Okay, we can get to that in a bit. But I just want to say like considering that if you think about it, as good as Mass Effect Two is, it feels a bit tangential. Like in the sense that okay, let's you know. 
we're going to take a step back from directly fighting the uh, reapers together with the with the uh, good guys quote unquote but instead we're going to like you know go on this on this like adventure with with you know the bad guys right so uh, it, with the third game it feels like they're going back to the the first game's uh, route uh, where it's more like a straightforward um, good guy versus bad guy narrative but it still managed to make it less weird or awkward you know if you know what I, what I mean uh, the moral ground is a bit more clear in the third game compared to the second game yeah and then and, and that perhaps you know shows the both the strength and weaknesses of, of those two games like if you were to compare them side by side right yeah yeah and I, I think I, I also like part of that part of why um, I guess that whole morality thing feels a bit more consequential I guess in the third game aside from the fact that you know it's a build up of all of your other choices in the past it's also that this third game is a lot it feels a lot more cinematic like it feels the cutscenes are more impactful and it's also of course helped by the fact that they had amazing uh, voice actors with amazing performances um, but they really stepped up the way that they told their um, story in this game uh, just by the soundtrack, um, it's it's very emotional the way that they started off too as well. Um, so that really punctuates the way that Shepard makes their choices. If your Paragon choices feel more like they mean something in that sense, because you're at that point you're already kind of emotionally attached to all your other characters. So by the time you do those choices, it feels like you know it it like it mattered. Uh, the most, I guess, in this third game, and yeah, a p- p- part of it is is a lot is is helped a lot by the execution of how how they told the story. I'd also say that it's also because they improved the Paragon and Renegade thing quite significantly, so that doesn't really lock you out of options in a sense. Well, I, I say that, but I don't think that's necessarily the most accurate. So what I'm trying to get to is that reputation, this new score that they introduced in the third game, has really helped Shepard become a more complicated character. Uh, there's more personality, right? You can choose to be Paragon one moment and then you can choose to be Renegade the next. And that doesn't affect how other characters seem to like want to interact with you because you have that reputation score available. You can still persuade people to do certain things. If let's say you believe that in this particular mission, in this particular choice, you want to take that route. But in the next mission, perhaps, we're going to take the other route. And I think the reputation score really helped that. That's essentially like a charisma score, right? Like to say, oh, well, if you don't have enough charisma score, then you cannot even negotiate with these parties in the first place because you're not persuasive enough. So that has improved dramatically from the first and second game. The second game locked you in. But the third game, you're like, okay, now I can, now Shepard is allowed to be whoever they want to be. They can be, uh, Paragon all the way, they can be Renegade all the way, or they can be like somewhere in between. And that that's a nice thing to have because some options you want to be able to be the bad guy. Some options you want to be the good ones. Uh, and really some are just well-deserved, right? Like at the end where, who, who doesn't really end up taking the option to click Renegade or to hit Renegade when you're trying to deal with Kailang at the end where you, you stab him? I, I, I take that option and I, I play purely Paragon mostly, but that option's always the one Renegade option that I must take. You just heard from Kelvin E and he's joined by Sabrina Yusuf and together we've been reflecting on Mass Effect 3, the final game in the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, released a couple of months ago. We'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Waltate on BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. We have finally completed Mass Effect 3, the final game in the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It's been one hell of a ride and joining me to talk about our experiences playing the game and how it compares to the prequels are Kelvin Yee and Sabrina Yusuf. Let's pick up from where we left off. I like the fact that characters are much more quote-unquote real in the sense that they interact and they respond to uh, everything that happened via all the missions, right? So if you go to, if you walk around Normandy and talk to other characters uh, after you have completed uh, missions, they will comment immediately uh, and give their thoughts on, on what, what just happened, right? And the best part is, is that you they're not just hanging out only in their station, which was like the case in the first two games where they will always be in that particular room, you know? <laughs> regardless of whatever happened but now at least you see like suddenly Gareth's hanging out with with uh, Vega like you know in the pantry and then one day I, w- I wanted to just look for uh, Gareth in his usual battery room he wasn't there but he was like hanging out with uh, with uh, Liara so so it, it, it's like it's a bit more natural and I like that I like the fact that uh, the your crewmates feel more human to an extent well maybe not a lot of them are not human but you know I mean like in the sense that they, they feel more uh, like like people you know like just trying to 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 just you know roam around in the in the Normandy and not just be stuck in only their, their quarters right yeah and they they kind of do the same thing on the Citadel too where you can find your squad mates in various places around the Citadel every time you visit right and you know they would always have something to say and that that gives incentive to actually go back to the Citadel and explore and the good thing about playing it now in 2021 is that you don't the, the load times are a lot quicker um, I, I used to be so annoyed playing it the first time on the PS3 because you know we have to go through the elevators and every time you want to go to the next floor it's another loading screen and then you know I could I need to check my phone and things like that but like now it feels the experience is is feels a lot more seamless and I actually make it a point to go back to the Citadel because it's fine and because I do want to know if my friends have anything new to say or, you know, if there's something else that, that needs to happen. In contrast to, say, and I guess this this is part part of the reason why why it's a lot more fun now is because in each game, it's kind of a different part of the Citadel where you go back to. Um, so in, in the second game, it's, it's, a lot, it's, it's a lot smaller. You're kind of just limited to one ward. Um, in the third game, you have these different floors, um, and they're more kind of different facilities of the Citadel. There's the docks, and then there's the hospital. But in the first game, I remember it being a bit of a chore to navigate it because it was so big, and then I, I just couldn't, you know, I, I just couldn't be bothered. There wasn't really a lot of things that I wanted to do in the Citadel. But here, um, not only is it a lot more fun, but it responds very well to what happens in the game narratively. Like, you see Citadel kind of falling apart, um, you know, when the Reapers start attacking, and then those, <laughs> it stays there for a while. It stays kind of ruined for a little bit. And I think that's that's, that's a really good way that they have kind of built up that, that place to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, the side plot points that sort of happen, you know, you have the characters who are thinking about divorce, you have the characters like, well, I'm deploying here, how will I be able to talk to you? And then you also have the ones where like, oh, you know, I just landed from my refugee shuttle, I can't find my parents. So those kind of things really breathe life into the game. And you also see, and drawing back to the the points you both made earlier, which is the the characters themselves, uh, you know, squad mates feeling a lot more alive. That's also true. Like they 
comment on these missions. And at the same time, they also talk to each other when you're playing the missions together, right? Whoever you bring along, they have separate and different interactions with each other and also with Shepard. And they also respond differently to the situations and uh, missions at hand. So that's really nice because in Mass Effect 2, you didn't really quite get the sense that they were friends. You didn't really quite get the sense that the squad was really like a squad. They're just like employees, I guess, of Shepard's and also indirectly of, of Severus. So when they start talking to each other and then when you get back to the ship, for example, they make remarks like, damn, would have been nice to have been down there. Would have been nice to like go on that mission with you. Oh, you know, wow, can't believe that happened. Huh? I heard what happened on blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, okay. So this game sort of makes it clear that the squad mates you bring down matter because then they'll have a more personal experience with what's happening on the ground. As opposed to like the first two games where I kind of got the sense that you kind of brought everyone along, but as you were running around, you only had two of them with you. Mm. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk a bit about the gameplay. Um, it's kind of interesting because they always switch up the gameplay. So the, in the first game, you have uh, a more robust uh, weapon system where you have to manually upgrade your weapon and uh, modify your weapons. Uh, for some reason, they took that out uh, from the second game. Uh, it was just I mean immediate upgrade, right? If not mistaken, you don't have you don't have the option to customize your weapons, but you can just upgrade them, right? Uh, and then they they brought back the the customization option plus the I guess the upgrade option from the second game, uh, which is was like kind of interesting because during the first game I I familiarized myself with the, the the system from the first game, and then I sort of like initially hated and then kind of liked the second game's uh, weapon system and then the third system when they brought it back I'm like okay it's gonna be a chore again but then when I started playing I'm like okay this is like cool you know it's it's the best of both worlds um so that that's kind of fun and then like overall I think the combat system is just out of the three games this is definitely the best Titus are much more fluid and just generally more fun to play right yeah like definitely the weapons are um so in the second game, you don't really see weapons that much. You kind of just go to your weapon bench and just select the name and have it equipped. Whereas in the first one, it's kind of, you know, it's, you don't really get to see it a lot. And the mods are a little bit, you know, I was a bit overwhelmed um, by how many things I pick up and I want to pick up everything. Um, but with the third game, it, they kind of, you know, everything's a lot more polished. You have these really nice squad mate interface every time before you go off on a mission you get to choose uh, which weapons before you go and then you get to see them and then you know you can also mod them um, right then and there as well and it also just feels um, a lot more flexible you're not locked to a certain type of weapon based on your class uh, so I thought that thing in in the second game that I couldn't quite um, enjoy fully because like ah, I, I now I'm stuck with these two three weapons I can't I can't explore a lot of the other things unless I choose a different class so having that freedom in the third game was really refreshing and they kind of also added that whole kind of weight penalty with their powers so that was a really interesting thing as well um, and it kind of gave me like the opportunity to kind of try out okay let's just not use powers this time let's just see if I can carry like four different guns and you know see which one's my favorite or whatever or oh let's see if i can go through this whole mission with just the with just the pistol let's see how i do and things like that um yeah so yeah it's definitely a lot more fun right? and, and a lot more um polished this time around definitely the, it's so fluid the combat system's been vastly improved and you know i play mostly as a biotic and that just made it so fun because you could uh 
combine combos uh, that they need certain things and skills together and really just have a really good impact there. The great thing is in the Citadel DLC, because that's automatically included in this one, you can just play in the arena and experience the combat over and over and over again. And that's immensely fun. The sad thing is you can't play multiplayer. And with such a good combat system that that they sort of invested in, I feel like at the expense of exploration, that it really should, they really should have considered bringing back multiplayer because you still see some of the interactions that happen on the Citadel DLC, um, with the different classes that you can pick from there, right? You'll have like a Vorcha and then like someone that calls themselves like a assassin or whatever, having a conversation. Well, this person brought in this version of the gun. I can't believe they did that. And then they like jumped to this different mission themselves and never picked up the backpack. And I'm just like, oh wow. So you still have these characters, but like out of context. Uh, it seems a bit out of place. It's okay because like you have the assumption, okay, maybe these are just like different squad mates, uh, different teams within the Mass Effect universe. But it adds so much more when you realize that, oh, these are like the characters that you play in the multiplayer edition. So it's, it's, it's great. Uh, it's well improved, but the elements that I kind of feel that are missing again at the cost of exploration because that's what Mass Effect 2 sort of did well, right? You sort of see in the, the, the games as they, progress that in the first one so exploration heavy so nice um the combat was like meh and the second game you kind of had like a good enough balance i guess between like just being able to walk around planets solo and then just stare out into like the the universe and the sky and like not have guns on you and then the third game that element is completely lost except maybe for one mission which is ranok related but that is sadly missing and I, i quite miss the ability to just walk around different planets and explore but I don't know. I guess because they, they've done such a good combat system, they just want to invest in that mostly. I, I was kind of bummed that, that they didn't bring back the multiplayer. I'm not sure what the logistics are, you know, in bringing back um, like a multiplayer element. But like I had a lot of fun playing it back then. It, it was one of the few multiplayer um, parts of games that I actually enjoyed, that I actually liked and, and stuck to playing. Maybe because it's co-op, but also it felt, it's just fun. You get to try out... Not only do you get to try out these different classes and their and their respective powers, but you also get to switch. You got you you also get to play as these different races that you never that you never had the that you would never have the opportunity to in the single player game because you know you're stuck as Shepard. But um, I think they really did a good job with the multiplayer um, Dulu. But you know, it's 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 a bummer that they didn't bring it back. Like, I think I would have played the heck out of it uh, today. Same. Um, I would have yeah. loved to play as the biotic ballers again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, small yeah. round ball. It's just so fun. I, I'm sad that those those things are missing. Okay, let's talk about the ending. And the reason why I want to do this is because I feel like this is my first time playing the Mass Effect uh, trilogy. And but even prior to playing it, I've always heard stories about how bad the ending was and that made me curious so uh, now I've completed the game uh, but I found out that you know the ending that I got was actually the quote-unquote the extended edition ending I suppose the the final version that they've edited at least that's what that's what I, I, I found out you know based on my readings and research and everything so honestly I, I don't have that much um, I guess gripe with, with the ending not to say that it's a good ending and the way they or rather the way they executed is great but based on what I played based on what I got I'm like okay you know at least they tried to tie up some loose ends I suppose but Kel you know as someone who has played the game um, during its first original run uh, yeah maybe perhaps you can give us a bit of context as to 
how quote unquote bad it was and why was it so controversial? It's not <laughs> that bad, right? <laughs> um, so I think when that first when when it came out in like 2012, if I'm not wrong, they did vastly promise that the ending would be a lot more diverse and complex than what is presented in the final edition here within the extended cut. And the extended cut was really like a response to all the criticism and uh, lashback that they were getting from like the first one, which is like, okay, so you have these three options essentially. And to what end, right? You only have three options, but the games would paint like, would, would paint it in a way that would made it so complex that, wow, it would change your game so much, you will have like maybe like six, seven, eight, nine, ten different endings. So when then, and then it came out, and then when when you played it and you got to the end, you realized that oh, well the ending isn't that vastly different from each other. It's it's really like either three, the red, green, or, or, or blue option. And then okay, extended cut they released. It was a bit better because like they realized oh okay, well turns out the endings in terms of slideshows were not that different from one another. Then the campaigns to, to get that change were, were quite massive. La. Like you have people protesting and then you had people sort of like sending cupcakes to like the main office in, I think Toronto or Quebec. I can't remember which one. Sending them like the, the RGB, red, green, blue colored cupcakes, uh, to, to like the HQ, uh, BioWare HQ. What? Yeah. So, so like the, the uproar then was a lot. And then you also very sadly, um, with the internet around, you had people like cyberbullying, like the community manager. So <laughs> it was, it was a, it was pretty bad, like the, the situation, how, how that developed. And then you have all these like, angry nerd gamers, like unleashing all the, the, the pent up anger at like the company, sadly. But that to me, the reaction at some of the consequences, some of the, the, the actions were not great, but I think I understand why, why the ending was so bad. I, I think to me also, it felt that way when I first played it. And I think upon, this uh, re-release version, having that gap of a few years, has made me think about what what it was that I thought was missing about the ending. And to me, granted that the game has so many big moments and so many choices that you feel would have made a difference towards the end, the ending feels a bit flat. The ending feels to me a bit empty, right? You you go into it, you build all these, and maybe I'll start there with like the the military strength score. That you work to build it up and up and up by like talking to different races and then some of the things that you've built up in the second game you carry over as a score. And then at the end of it, towards the final mission, Priority Earth, you don't really see any of that taking place. You see the ships come in, but the cinematics are more or less the same, right? That you see all these ships coming in. Okay, that, that's okay. There, there they are. But where are they in Earth? No matter how strong your military buildup is, you still see the same uh, sequences towards the end and it would have been nice to see like some of those assets that you've built up come into play towards the ending mission so it did feel like it the, the ending was a bit rushed to me because it felt like it was missing those elements right and like in the second game for example uh, you would have your consequences show up at the end you know you would see your characters dying those that you've worked with all this while it's just dying because you didn't make the right choices or you didn't go through and um, work out some of the other issues with them. The third game, you don't really see that much of that. You just kind of go through the same mission. It's really the same experience, no matter what choice you make. You, there, there isn't a clear consequence as to your, your military strength until the very ending. And even then, it doesn't feel like it's that much. And 
it would have been nice actually to because that because this is like a wrap up of the uh, entire Shepherd franchise, right? That they would bring up all the characters that have been involved with them throughout that way. It would have been nice to have like, oh, you know, suddenly you have Kasumi helping hack some of the terminals or like helping uh, fix some of the guidance machine, uh, missile guide, missile guidance systems that are present on Earth. Or maybe you had like Asari ships coming in to uh, distract the Reapers. And then you maybe have characters like Jacob, uh, Samara and stuff like that coming in to say, okay, we hold up this biotic barrier so you can go to this place. Uh, we will hold the line here or something like that. But that, that wasn't there. You at most get like, uh, Two minute virtual conversation with them over Zoom or something. <laughs> at, at the end, and then you're like, oh, well, we know this is it. This is the last score. And then, like, um, where are y'all? Where are y'all stationed? Why can't I see where y'all stationed? I should be able to see where, where you guys are because I recruited you. I, I hired you for the mission. Um, so, so yeah, the, the final mission itself to me is already like quite problematic because essentially it feels like it's, it's not done enough. It's not doing enough, right? And then to the final piece of the game, um, where you do meet like the star child, the Reaper AI, I, I kind of feel bad about the ending because the game itself has always been very driven by emotion, right? It, yeah, this game is a lot about emotion. And then at the end of it, they really tried to put a lot of logic into it. And it was like a philosophical fallacy that was going on. So you could have a conversation with the Reaper AI and they're explaining to you why they do the things that they do. But I feel like that could have been fleshed out and the whole plot more so than at the end, right? Where you are like trying to survive. You just watched Anderson die and then suddenly like, oh darn, there's like one more thing to do. There's like, we need to talk to this, this, this kid that we don't really see anywhere. There's no other children in Mass Effect except this one kid. There's no child models in the game except this one kid. And then you get to the end and then he, you have to talk with him. Like, why? Why is he like suddenly this character? This is child become the pivotal focus of Shepard's trauma and fear and all that. So it's like, oh, we're, the Reapers are like this sentient being, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, that could have been explored throughout the plot. Um, I suppose as towards the end. And then you make that full choice throughout the plot as opposed to that one pivotal moment at the end where you can either choose to destroy, control, or synthesize um, the DNAs of everyone and turn everyone into like biohumans or whatever. So that, that emotional, crescendo was missing and they diminished that right and they chose to go to like a weird well did that really happen are you sure you know uh should we save the reapers well da, da, da. i mean granted that throughout the game there are points that tell you that tell you to consider some of the things you should do right like you can see the camps uh for example you could see for example uh if you are a, a total anderson fan he says destroy, you follow destroy, right? Then he would like say that this is the thing you should do. If you're more like leaning in towards the elusive man who says you can control them, you can control them. And then that's like the option maybe you want to consider. And then in the middle, you have sort of control. The reapers are still around. And, but, but like we can achieve peace because, well, everyone's a robot now. Everyone's half robot now anyway. So yeah, we're, we're cool, you know, but then you bring up options that that you have done, right? I wish that they, because, because the Reaper's main argument is that organics and synthetics can never live together because they'll always go at war and that's why it's chaotic. But then you just achieve peace with the Corrin and the Geth. And then that, that's not a point that's brought up at all, right? Because Shepard has done the impossible, reuniting these two um, species together. But that, that doesn't become a data point for these like high brain, IQ, high level IQ robots to consider. So like, huh? Like what's going on there? 
um yeah i i mean i i, I don't I, I feel like i'm taking too much time by, by like talking so much but uh please forgive me uh i, I think i'll leave it to you two to like chime in also <laughs> no, no no i i think i think those are salient points to be fair uh and i think you're right about the whole ending being a bit to like or rather the options were presented to you like was like literally towards like the end of the game whereas i think they could have done a much better job at trying to weave in these options much much earlier on to be fair you have Cerberus there always trying to uh, argue for controlling uh, the reapers right so there's that but the middle option was somehow not not really i guess presented to you as much you know um, and i feel like what's lacking with maybe the way the Reapers are um, introduced or uh, communicated in the game is that you don't have that much communication with them, to be fair, which led to, you know, the ending being as such. It's like, this is like the, the, I guess, the only time where you actually talk to them and, and then only you can see their point of view, you know. In hindsight, I wish they could have like introduced the Reapers, uh, at least the 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 conversational side of the Reapers, you know, where you talk to the Reapers and, you know, discuss philosophies and whatnot, you know, much, much earlier in the game or even much, much earlier in the franchise, you know, maybe the first, second game. Um, you have that with the first game with Saren and also the Reapers, I guess, but that was a bit missing in the second game. In the third game, they could have, you know, implemented that as well, a lot more, in fact, um, especially not just in the Leviathan DLC, right? Maybe in, within the plot itself where you actually have conversations with, with Reapers and sort of like, you know, where they can sort of like hint at at this, the middle ground option, right? The synthesis option. But somehow they didn't do that. So when everything was presented at the end of the game, like literally at the end of the game, uh, it felt a bit like, oh, okay, so now why are we now only talking about these things when these things perhaps could be hinted at and even introduced much, much earlier in the game so that by the time you reach the end of the game, you'll be a lot more informed, I suppose, uh, and, and you're able to, to, I guess, make a more, like a better decision um, because it has become part of the plot, right? Whereas, yeah, it, it just feels a bit weird, like you said, that, that you know, after doing a lot of things, you know, throughout the game and then suddenly, oh, you're presented with this option, like, which I'm, oh, okay, like, oh, but you don't earn these options, you know what I mean? Like, like at least with, with the synthesis option and to a certain extent, even the control option, considering how, um, the game presents the control option as, as something a bit more antagonistic, I suppose. So there's that as well. Yeah. Um, you're right. I've seen the, I've seen the, what do you call this? The original ending. And I think if I had played uh, Mass Effect 3, then I'll probably be pissed as well, considering how short it was, you know, like there's no context, you know, it's just a bunch of cutscenes, like you said, different colors and then that's it. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would probably be upset, but with the added slideshow, it felt quote-unquote better, I suppose, and the narration as well, depending on which ending you pick, it made it a bit, just a bit more better, but I don't think it's it's that great either. But at least I I had a sense of closure. Honestly speaking, I had a sense of closure as well watching it, but you know, you know it could be better, yeah. Yeah, okay. So when I, the first, first time I finished the game, uh, the old one, I didn't have like many gripes with it, honestly. Um, I mean... As long as it gets me like going emotionally, like you know, it's it, it's you know, it ticks all my boxes. I shed a tear, whatever. <laughs> so, but um, I guess then because because then I hadn't had that experience with all these characters in the previous games as well. I didn't have as much of a as much contextual knowledge as I had now playing back uh, with this remaster trilogy. But even then, you know, it, it's still, if you were to ask me how, how it could have been a better ending, I'm not sure. I wouldn't know how to answer that question either. Um, 
me in my hubris, I thought I got the perfect ending, which is you know, which is the synthesis ending, um, the green one in the middle. You know, like oh, um, why wouldn't it be perfect, right? Oh, I saved all my squad mates. Um, no one has to die. I just, I stopped the war. Uh, my hero became a martyr and a legend and whatever. Sure, I know in my heart of hearts that probably the thing that makes the most sense to do is to destroy the Reapers. I guess for me, it just having gone through all these choices in the game from, you know, literally doing the impossible, right? Like uh, uniting the Geth and the Koreans. It does make sense how this ending feels like, you know, that that players have been robbed, I suppose, of, of the choice that they were given. That I see now how it could kind of fall flat. Because those are big achievements that weren't kind of addressed or even made a possibility in the end. So when you were to go with destroying the Reaper, to destroying these connections that you've made along the way too, with, with the, the progress that we thought was impossible, but actually is possible with the synthetics. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they were trying to kind of present like a safe, fresh slate for the next cycle of humanity or, or whatever, so they can... So it would set the stage for the next game to be kind of disconnected. I'm not sure. But yeah, what, what, what did you guys get for the endings? Like I, I know I got this. In, I didn't get synthesis the first time. And then I got it the second time. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe this is it. And I looked it up. No, that's not the perfect ending. The perfect ending, Shepard lives. So I'm like, okay, sure, I guess. But but is that definite though? I mean, I, I know some... <laughs> there's, there's a what, a split second... <laughs> cutscene or something that shows that he's breathing or something because I miss that uh, I pick I pick destroy because because <laughs> I wanted to actually check out all the options as well but I found out that once you climb that stairs you cannot go back no. <laughs> so it so happened that the option that I picked was destroy and I'm like oh okay cool you know I guess I could live with it I suppose uh, but honestly I was at that time was trying to just check out you know all the options presented when you go up the stairs whether it'll like say something or anything but you know apparently yeah once you go up once you pick a, a path you can't reverse so I'm like okay but luckily I, I got yeah I picked destroy I suppose and I can live with it except for the fact that some of my, you know, the things that I work on, like you said earlier, uh, you know, reuniting the Geths uh, and the Quarians became pointless because, yeah, they had to die, right? So that's the sad part, yeah. Yeah, and imagine killing Joker's girlfriend. Like, they were so cute together. <laughs> and now they don't have each other. <laughs> yeah, that was something they could definitely have not put in, right? Like, you could have picked Destroy, for example, and then you could say, like, well the AI survived because they were not the same one as the Reaper type, you know, that, that kind of thing. It, it could have worked. It really could have worked, but I think they just didn't like want to take it to take the length there as much, sadly. For sure, I would like, and it's the same way as, as how it felt in the second game, right, in the suicide mission. I did it like two or three times just to make sure all of my squad members survived because I want everyone to survive. I don't want anyone to die. But also, I guess... I don't know how true this is, but sometimes, I guess in some stories, there are some things that need to end. And maybe in the way that YOA wanted to go with it, is that, okay, if you destroy the Reapers, you're losing a lot of all these other things too. So make sure you think about that. And, you know, why don't you try these other colors, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think maybe, maybe, maybe it's designed on purpose, to be honest. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I feel like maybe it's designed on purpose just to make it a bit more complicated. Because if, let's say, destroying the Reapers is as straightforward as it is, a lot of people will definitely pick that option. 
and but because they feel like okay, let's be for better or worse, let's be philosophical and let's give you know the players a bit of a challenge when it comes to making that final decision. Let's yeah introduce this element so that it becomes a bit more. I guess complex, I suppose, to a certain extent. I don't know whether it's warranted. Yeah, because, you know, we can sit down here and talk about whether it's even fair to arrive at that conclusion considering that, you know, you've already built up these narratives uh, from the first uh, game till the third game, right? You know, the whole relationship. And it's not it's not, it's not, not a, a cheap thing, right? I mean, if you think about it, the whole Gav Quarian uh, saga is pretty big and important within the franchise as well. So, so for them to, like, suddenly think about, hey, let's, yeah, let's let's introduce this quote unquote complicated, complex um option for these players. Pun, macam you think that macam hmm, is that even fair? But that's the beauty of it, lah. I suppose maybe maybe that's their intention. You know what I mean? Like in in making sh- sure that it's not as easy as it is for players to just like oh okay, you know, let's you give us three options, let's just pick destroy because that's the easiest quote unquote. That's just like poor writing in my opinion <laughs> because like they really could have taken it to a different place and. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing if games want to set what is canon because they've done that before uh, within the Dragon Age series, for example. No matter what ending you pick, for example, in the comic books, in the other materials, this certain person will always be this character. You, For example, Dragon Age uh, Origins, you can pick one or several characters to be king of uh, this place. You can choose whoever, but the comic books, the material will always say that this person is king. No problem because your gameplay will be reflected in the other games as well. In Mass Effect 3, I think they were a bit afraid of committing to maybe like a next series or, or maybe they just wanted to close off the Shepard franchise, right? And then they chose not to pick one. But then you realize that in Mass Effect 4, you see uh, the, or the next one that they are working on, you see Liara and you see a dead reaper and then you're like, okay, so they are making a choice. They are making a canon. Maybe they finally decided that Destroy is the canon ending. And they've done it in 2 as well. If Shepard dies in Mass Effect 2, which he can uh, if you don't have enough squad mates and if you don't have enough preparedness, your save file to 3 cannot be ported. Your save file from 2 cannot be ported over to 3 because that Shepard is dead in that, that, that universe. So that that's something they could have considered, right? Like, just, just choose something that's canon. What's canon in the series that Shepard will live past 1, 2, and 3. And that, that's sadly like something that they chose to suddenly back out of to pick like a more inceptionist-ish ending, right? Like, oh, did it happen or did it not? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good writer. I'm not a good games writer. Uh, but what I think they could have maybe considered was like, uh, the final boss thing could be a fight. Uh, that, that was something that they wanted to avoid, right? Um, having like a big battle at the end of the game, which was done in one, which was done in two. Because for the third one, then you'll see people, uh, I think a project director, Casey Hudson, he was like, well, we don't want this game to just be like a big boss fighting video game. It will feel too video gamey to have like a big boss fight at the end. I'm like, this is a video game. What are you talking about? <laughs> of course, of course, it's supposed to be video gamey. I am playing a video game, you know, like it's, it's not bad to try and experiment. But I think for something like this, not to say you have to pick a safe option, but I think you can be creative within the medium that you've set. And I think they chose to try and emulate films. Not a bad thing again, but execution was poor. Okay, uh, we have to wrap this up soon. Uh, but to conclude what we all have, have said about this game and what we have said in the second game where we sort of like agreed that Mass Effect 2 is the best in the franchise, do you think that the ending of Mass Effect 3 actually lowered or disrupted the game from being 
the best in the franchise because I feel like you know in terms of the gameplay, in terms of the mood, in terms of the I guess cinematic, it seems like Mass Effect 3 is quote unquote better than Mass Effect 2, but the ending is pretty questionable. Uh, do you think that it's fair to say that the ending is the only thing that's preventing Mass Effect 3 from being the best game in the franchise? Or like let, let's give a bit more credit to maybe Mass Effect 2 for actually you know despite even with a strong ending, Mass Effect 2 maybe has a better vibe. Yeah. So wh- what do you guys think about this? I would say, I mean, it's definitely like, I don't think the ending takes too much as, you know, as as okay or as horrible or as, you know, bad as it was. Um, I, I don't think it took too much away from the rest of the game because that was really the one pivotal moment that was supposed to either end or change things completely, right? Um, and that didn't happen in the middle of the game. That happened at the end. I, I've still felt that the game in its entirety is a, v- a really good, solid game in many respects. In in not just the story, but also in the way that it explores its characters, um, even the little NPCs, the nameless ones that you kind of you know you get to have these little snippets of conversations that you catch. I think overall the game is is still a very good, it's a very well made game. Um, I think it was just that they kind of missed it with the ending to 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 wrap it up, to wrap the whole story up. Uh, well, but yeah, I I I play it again, <laughs> but I probably just stop before the Earth mission or something. <laughs> um, but also, uh, if I could just add a bit about the DLCs, that's that's just part of this whole package. I think that really changed it up for me, um, coming back into the game again because when I played it the first time, not having played past games and also I've never played any of the DLCs, having it in the game now um, as part of it, as part of the missions. It really kind of made it feel like a new game to me. Um, especially Citadel is definitely my favorite DLC. Um, you know, we get to explore this whole new part of Citadel, and it's also like really great fan service. You you get to have these kind of personal conversations and human conversations with your with your uh, squad mates. They're a little funny, a little goofy, and then you get to see them having fun a little bit. And I think that's that's really great. I think that's I think that's a good way. It's It's a product of, you know, if you actually listen to the way that your fandom interacts with these characters outside of the game. I think that's a really nice kind of acknowledgement of that, of the relationship that you would have as a player with the people, uh, with the characters in the game. I think Citadel really did that well. I just ask people to just get the game and play the whole thing just to get to the moment in Citadel because <laughs> it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. It's really funny. Uh, it's definitely a different tone from the rest of the game as well. But yeah, my favorite part. <laughs> agree, agree, totally agree. I think Citadel is one of the best features of the Citadel DLC is one of the best features of the game. And I wish BioWare would lean a lot more on their fun, humorous writing skills because that's what they're really good at. And especially in terms of the relationships between you and your squad mates. And to I think wrap up also, I. It's true. I, I think Mass Effect 3 is a pretty solid game, pretty well made, and very many good, strong, emotional high points. Ranok, Thessia, uh, Tuchanka, and all that. All these things that come together at the end, and like, yes, I've worked so hard, or I've I've done so much in the past few games that it's all finally, the pieces are finally connecting. Can see the bigger picture, and everyone in the game is also looking at the bigger picture as to what they have to do. I just think, unfortunately, it suffers from the A last mile problem, which is that you know even when you go on holiday trips, for example, you can have a fantastic trip in one place, 
And then if you have a really bad flight or really bad airport experience, that's going to paint the rest of your travel and tourism experience because you're going to remember that final moment. And I think that's what's happening with the game. You have such good plot points, but where it really truly mattered the most, and that is the ending, they kind of flop on that, sadly. So a solid game overall, but good story points does not make a great overall game. I, I, I'm a bit more pessimistic about, about what it is because there are other like writing concerns that I have about the game that, that I didn't really quite touch on. One of which was like Shepard's trauma and like the dream sequences. Those things don't really make sense and it didn't feel like it fit the game. Uh, it, to me, it broke immersion for me in, in that sense. But yeah, I, I would still say play the game, play Mass Effect 3 and the whole franchise. Totally, totally worth your time. But for 3, I would maybe ask people to consider playing the old uh, Mass Effect 3 and then have mods uh, in that game. You have really great mods that help make the game feel a lot more uh, comprehensive. You have the Expanded Galaxy mod. You also have the, if you like, the, the Happy Ending mod, which takes away the conversation you can have with the Reaper AI at the end and you just finish on the high note with Anderson. Or, or like many different ones where like the Normandy will come back to rescue you. Stuff like that. So. Uh, third game, I would totally recommend playing it. Uh, maybe not the Legendary Edition because even in terms of graphics, it's not that greatly uh, improved. Uh, not that much different. Uh, play the old version if you can afford it uh, with mods. Uh, and even the, the skin retexture, visual update mods totally improve the gaming experience. So that's where I would say uh, I would stand with the game. So I think this is just like a point that I was kind of dwelling on as well is it a lot of the game also depends on your personal playstyle as well. I just in games in general because I, the choices you make do have impact, right? And I see sometimes the finality of those decisions might be frustrating for some people, uh, and having to live with that. So, for example, like um, in the third game, uh, you're faced whether you know you want to save uh, the guests or the Koreans. Um, but if you haven't done the second game, you wouldn't have had enough points to be able to save both of them and have that unity in the first place. So yeah, I, I think if 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 you're this game definitely this game definitely rewards completionists or like half completionists if you do all the side quests, if you talk to everyone all the time, you'll have fun with this game. But if you're sometimes like me and you get anxiety from choices and you want to have to like, you know, go through a 20 minute Google search to figure out what happens, then, you know, maybe try to take your time with this game a little bit. Download someone else's save file is my recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're start, if you want to start with three, just download someone else's save file and then play from there. It, it, it works. I've done it before, uh, especially after like certain reruns. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll play it for completion. It's like someone else has done it. Go to MassEffectSaves.com. Uh, <laughs> That's where you can find um, the more recent ones. Otherwise, just go to the Nexus mods and, and get your safe house there. Very, very, very quick note. Kailang is the worst character in the game. He shouldn't have been it in the first place. <laughs> Alright. Uh, and on that note, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, thank you very much, Kelvin and Zabuna, for joining me and for uh, sharing your thoughts on Mass Effect 3. You're tuned into GG Well Played, and that was our review of Mass Effect 3, the final game in the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, released a couple of months ago. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next time, GG Well Played. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.